Purple Insider presented by Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com slash insider and learn about the Tall Boy can, which actually has water. Find out where you can get it near you at liquiddeath.com slash insider. Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, and it is a Tuesday morning left guard with former Minnesota Viking Jeremiah Searles. And Jeremiah, I'm going to throw this right at you right away. The other day in the post-game pod, Paul Hodewanik started his comments with, how do they keep getting away with this? (laughs) Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad. That was how he started it. Uh, And I feel like uh, you might have some similar comments after uh, watching the tape. I just, as I watched the tape, I was like, I'm going to say the exact same things I've said the last four or five weeks. Like it's, it's the same thing, but somehow they find a way to win at the end. And I don't necessarily know if it's, they find a way to win at the end or the other team just refuses to win at the end. You know, that's like the other team, Chicago had a great chance. Miami had, they all had these chances at the end. And there's something to be said about players making plays and big time plays when it matters. But it just seems like our luck is we're just riding the lightning, dude. Just riding the lightning straight to five and one. I don't know how much longer that lightning lasts. Uh, well, at least a couple of more weeks. Although people are arguing, people are saying people are. that uh, there are people out there that have Twitter accounts that have tweeted at me. Those are the people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> By the way, those types of arguments, like don't don't do that. That's that's bad. Uh, don't base it on Twitter bots or whatever. But no, it is true that people are saying that uh, Taylor Heineke might be more dangerous to the Vikings than Carson Wentz, which I think Stop just it. shows you where we're at right now. Stop. <laughs> Stop no, that's it. real. But no, that's yeah, and it should that shouldn't be a real thing. Like Carson if- Wentz is a middling quarterback where Taylor Heineke is clearly a backup, but still they're going to face Taylor Heineke. They're going to face a Marquise Brown list, Arizona Cardinals. So uh, can they keep getting away with this? I think the answer is yes. But what I want to ask you about after we play the intro, of course, is uh, some of the specifics of that game and whether we should like how we should interpret them Mm. basically, but let's play the intro first to really get us going here. What's that sound you hear coming from the trenches? It's former Minnesota Viking offensive lineman Jeremiah Searles. It's time for the Tuesday morning left guard show on Purple Insider. They're too strong, my dog. You're too strong. There we go. Uh, Banger every time. Zadarius Smith, Daniel Hunter, your thoughts? Savages. Do more of that. I mean, what was it, 11 pressures from Desarius himself? That's incredible. I mean, that's something I haven't seen done since, like, Chase Young at Ohio State-type numbers or Aiden Hutchinson in college. You know, that just doesn't happen in the NFL. You guys, you get a guy that can have, like, seven or eight, which is an outstanding game. But I think he had, what, two sacks and 11 pressures? I mean, that's an unreal stat line. And against a Miami front that has been decent, now, granted, they've had Skylar Thompson, Teddy Bridgewater, Tua, and so the timing and everything's just an absolute dumpster fire in their backfield. But overall, those two guys played at a really elite level on the road. You know, it's one thing to get it's one thing to get that kind of performance from when you're at home and you're jumping the snap count and you're doing all those things, but to go down 
on the road in someone else's place where noise isn't exactly a huge factor and really just win what you and I talked about last week, guys winning their one-on-one matchups. Like that's something that if that is sustainable, then yeah, they absolutely can keep getting away with this on defense. If you have that many quarterback pressures, but if you start playing better quarterbacks and as you watch around the league and you see quarterbacks that are identifying, they're getting put under pressure like crazy. I think about that game last night, Russell and Herbert, they weren't taking sacks because they were just blitzing like crazy and just getting the ball out. But I think that if you can rely on those dudes up front to get after the quarterback, Daniil and Desarius specifically, then it allows you to play that shell coverage that you want in the back end and keep everything in front of you. Yeah, I was thinking about this watching last night's game as well, because the health of the Miami offensive line was a major problem without Teron Armstead. I can guarantee you Zadari Smith doesn't get 11 pressures against Armstead, even if he played very well. Mm -hmm. Um, But those two teams have missed offensive linemen. I think what Corey Lindsley was out for um, the Chargers and then uh, Garrett Bowles out for Denver. It's like, in the NFL, there's a kind of a, a, a solid offensive line can get you a lot of places, right? But if you lose one guy at, at a premier position, especially like left tackle, you go from being like pretty solid to just a dumpster fire. And that's exactly what happened with Miami. And credit to Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter, they took advantage. Hunter also had six pressures, which we would have been talking about a ton had Zadarius Smith not just ripped their faces off and eaten them. Uh, but Daniil Hunter getting it going here was something that we've been wondering kind of what's going on. Is he fitting in this uh, defense? And I'm not ready to say that it's the same and that he's fully adapted considering who he was going against. And like you said, Bridgewater and, and Thompson were holding on to the ball a lot and so forth. But I think that they need that version of Daniil Hunter the rest of the year in order to slow down when they do face some better offenses, which believe it or not will happen. <laughs> yeah. And I think the biggest thing is I think, I think Daniil specifically is finally rounding back out into midseason form. You know, a guy that missed a lot of football, still finding his way, getting his rhythm, getting his timing back. You saw it all kind of come together this week in his pass rush. He was really coming off three. Usually all defenders make their moves off three or five steps. He was getting to his third step, making the inside move, or getting to the fifth step and planning and making a move. And the thing I loved is his power looked back. You know, a lot of his sacks early in his career because he was so much powerful and he was able to just long arm dudes in the chest and drive them straight back into the quarterback and then make a move late off of that. And you saw him start to get back to more of that. I'm just going to run through you, use my length, use my power and push you back and then finish at the quarterback instead of trying to do the jump out and around and the avoid stuff, which he is great at, but it's so much easier to do those other stuff of the avoid and the more finesse pass rush moves when you've established a power move against a tackle over and over throughout the game and make him start thinking that that's your number one. Then you jump around him where it's kind of been flipped for him, which makes sense when you're dealing with a neck injury. Yo, yeah, right. And that's the thing with Hunter where it's like, how much should we react to the slow start? Uh, was a, a question because I'm not sure that it was a perfect fit. I'm still not sure it's a perfect fit with him standing up on that wide nine type of, uh, you know, way outside the tackle. Like that's a long way to go for someone who isn't the Von Miller quickness. Um, but I also think that with him and Irv Smith, who has not quite gotten it together yet either, we still need to look at how much time those guys missed and consider that like you don't just pop right back up like there's a there's a long road back to becoming who you used to be when you go through some of these injuries and i think that 
Like it's just so vital to them in the second half. And when we talked about the bets that this team made, they really made a bet at the beginning of the year that these guys would stay healthy and that they would generate the the pressure by themselves. And that's been a roller coaster a little bit. Uh, But if it looks like that, the second half of the season, and that's the whole thing here. It's like everyone knows, including Kevin O'Connell and Kirk Cousins and everybody else, that it can't look like this all year and have you still end up being a legitimate contender. But if we're looking at something that would be a sign that they can improve from where they're at, I think this was it against Miami with those two guys. Yeah, I mean, and to go back to what you said, like look at Saquon Barkley. It took him a full year to get back to being an elite player. I mean, last year, everyone was like, he's washed, he's done, get him out. I mean, he's coming off an ACL. I mean, it takes guys a long time to get back. When when you take a year or so off of football, like it's not just the physical side of it. It's the emotional, it's the timing, it's the learning how to prepare every week. Like you kind of have to retrain everything. So that's a big reason um, why I think those two guys, Smith and Daniil, like I said, is taking a little longer to get back to it. But to go to your second point of just it can't look like this. I mean, part of me says I agree with you, but other part of me is like, why not? Both those guys have done it in their careers at a consistent level for a long time that I mean, Pro Bowl levels, multi sack, double digit sack types years. So there's part of me that wants to be like, maybe it can. Maybe these two can play at this level the entire time the rest of the year and keep going. Uh, but I just think it's probably an un, it's not a realistic goal. But I think that it, it, there's a slim possibility that these two guys can stay healthy and turn it on here in the last 10 weeks of the season or whatever it is here and look like that and win another eight or nine games. Like it's it's a very real possibility. But the problem, like you said, one of those dudes gets hurt, just one, and misses three or four games. You're I don't even know if you win 50% if both those guys aren't fully healthy. Yeah, and I meant from a broader perspective. Like they can't get out yardage did by uh, uh <laughs> 200 yards. Yardage. Like, and they can't they cannot they really can't and this is, you know, sort of a thing that you know, I've been trying to kind of um tiptoe around exactly to get it to get it right because I it's not like I don't think they're a 5 and 1 team because that's their record and you are what your record says you are. But when you rank in the bottom third of the league in offensive and defensive yards, it's not exactly inspiring to what you're going to be. And I think that where this happens with the, is with the secondary for the Vikings, because when you have performances like that on the defensive line and you still end up giving up yards like that, 300 and something yards passing to Teddy Bridgewater and a bounce interception, a fumble, but they were moving the ball and moving the ball and moving the ball. And, and your punter bailed you out that if your punter wasn't a Greek God, then they probably score quite a bit more. Like, like the, the secondary issue, is it scheme? Is it the way guys are playing? Like one thing that really pops to me is that in Zimmer's scheme, nickel corners seem to thrive. And of, and of course, Eric Kendricks really seemed to thrive in coverage. But Kendricks's PFF grades and coverage are the worst they've ever been this year. I don't think he's like massively changed as a player. And Shandon Sullivan, the nickel corner, is being left on an island too many times. And I just don't think that's really him. Um, but I, I, I guess I wonder what, from you watching it back, you think is the reason why the secondary is giving up so many so many yards and it's not just dink and dunk. I mean, there were a lot of big plays in that game that they gave up to Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle. I think it's a lack of aggressiveness and I don't necessarily know if that's, and I mean, I obviously know it's not like by an individual player, player by player, because you see it kind of across the board of 
it's the mentality that's been instilled to them since this defense got put in of keep everything in front of you, right? So if you're planning on keeping everything in front of you, your ability to take risks and your ability to try and bait um, a receiver and a quarterback into a throw, you don't really have as much luxury that because the coaching point, you do what your coach says is keep everything in front of you. So that means give good cushion, stay back. Like don't let anyone run by you, nothing over your head. Well, if that's the case, then the deep in routes and the over routes in the middle are always going to be open because you don't want to get burned badly. You know, and I agree. I think the nickel corner used to be such a strength for us. You know, when you talk about guys and I just don't think Sullivan's quite there as a player to be able to say, hey, you're one on one run around with this dude who's in the slot and they might move good guys who are really fast, shifty or lanky or whatever they are like. That's a matchup as an offensive guy that I would look at and be like, let's exploit that on this Vikings defense, right? Like attack Sullivan, attack the nickel corner. Let's stay away from Patrick Peterson. Let's stay away from Cam Dantzler and keep it in the middle of the field because Harry's playing 20 yards off the ball. You know, like that's kind of the weak spot. And so I think overall, it's just a lack of aggressiveness versus Zimmer's defense was ball in the air is ball mine. You know, you heard him talk about that all the time. Like if the ball's in the air, it's the DB's job to go up and make it his versus I think balls in the air here. It's tackle first. Make sure the guy gets on the ground instead of going after him, just getting after and getting really aggressive after the football. Yeah, and I totally get that, but we don't have to play what does that stat mean with the fact that the Vikings are giving up first downs on almost 40% of pass plays, which is the third worst in the NFL. I mean, and if you were trying to keep everything in front of you, well, that's a really hard task against Tyreek Hill, who can just run by you. Like that pivot step thing that he does where he catches the ball, slams on the brakes, pivots backward, and then runs by you. Is bananas, but you also know who you're facing there. And I get it. Like you're not giving up bombs and they haven't given up too many of those Mm -hmm. at the same time. They're giving up lots of yards after catch. And and to me, if you're giving up a 17 yard pass or a 26 yard pass, like those are pretty impressive plays that a lot of times, if you're giving them up, uh, they're going to result in teams finishing those drives and scoring touchdowns, which it did for the Dolphins late in the game, and they had a chance to go win it if Jalen Waddle doesn't fumble. And and for me, that requires, I think, an adjustment at the bye week where they have to change the way they're asking guys to play because they just cannot be so terrified of giving up a shot here that you'd almost rather give up every once in a while a deep shot than 15 yards over and over and over and over again, which they have. Well, you know, I hope that, and again, I hope they go in the bye week and they have the same confidence level that you and I have in Desarius and Daniil going, okay, the, our pass rushers have figured it out. Like our pass rushers are starting to click and put it together. That means we can be more aggressive with our DBs now. You know, I think a lot of it was, I mean, we watched Justin Fields, who I've watched Chicago on primetime now twice and makes me want to bleed just straight out of my eyeballs. But every time I watch them, Fields is running for his life. The dude is running for, he just can't get set in the pocket. And I mean, halftime of the other night, he was walking to the locker room and it looked like he was just like, kill me, kill me. Cause like he was just getting, <laughs> like, he just looked in so much pain. Yeah. But then I remember watching the Vikings game and he looked like he had all the time in the world back there and he was just picking apart a defense. He looked like, so I mean, I think that part of the reason too that we haven't been so aggressive with our DBs is because we're worried about, uh, the time in the pocket. So if we can take a combination of the stuff that you and I just talked about, which is the pass rushers figuring it out and having more trust in the DBs, like that's the combination of like, all right, they're getting there. So that means balls coming out quicker. So that means get up and press these dudes, stay in their hip pocket. Hey, if you see the sand, Harry, jump it, have the confidence and the trust to tell a guy like that. Hey, do you go make a play? 
instead of saying, hey, no, stay back here, stay the wall, like stay the picket fence, whatever it might be, that shell coverage that Troy Aikman loves to draw on the freaking yellows, like all that stuff, be more aggressive, but it all is a combination of complementary football on the defensive side of the pass rush and the coverage melding into one. Uh, Can we just stop for a second and appreciate the uh, aging Patrick Peterson and how well he's played so far this year? Here's another, what does this stat mean? He has allowed... Only 50% completion percentage into his coverage, 14 for 28 so far this year. And the irony is that Patrick Peterson does not really like the PFF target numbers. And I get why, because sometimes it's just closest man, and that might not have been your fault, and there's always going to be flaws. But his have been really good in the last two years, and he he complains about them. Uh, But uh, 55 quarterback rating on throws into Patrick Peterson's coverage. I mean, I think what we're seeing here is – a Hall of Fame player who has adjusted his game as he's gone along in his career and is really comfortable with how they're playing and can see things happen in front of him and react to them as opposed to maybe having to play tight man coverage all the time like Zimmer wanted him to, though he was good last year. But, I mean, I just think from a football-y football perspective, a Hall of Famer shows up on your team. You're like, okay, cool, I guess, but he might be washed. And he is not. I mean, he has turned out to be like the bets that they made with some of the old players that may not have been high percentage bets with Zadarius Smith and with uh, Patrick Peterson so far have really paid dividends. And I'll be the first one to eat crow on that one. I mean, last year I was I was not a huge fan of Peterson. Like I know his numbers were good, but there was times last year I felt like he was kind of showing like he's lost a step or he's that and I'll be the first one to say on the show I I've said that and so I'll leave my words on that he's playing at a very very high level and when you play in a league like this that you're the receivers are becoming more and more of the dominant focal point and pass interferences are becoming more and more ticky tacky and all of the stuff inside like it's really hard for corners to stay elite and play at that top level and you're right the great ones adjust you know the the ones that are too prideful to change or the ones that have too many issues and say it's not my fault or whatever like those guys really struggle but the great ones adjust and he's adjusted beautifully in 2022 Folks, those who know me well are aware that I'm not a big drinker, but when my neighbors recently dropped by, they were surprised to see a bunch of tall boy cans laying around. No, I didn't change my life choices. Those cans were liquid death water. In particular, I've become a big fan of the sparkling lime flavor. As you know, I'm a big soda guy, but I'm starting to think that water might be a little better choice for the health side. Speaking of which, it's ironic that it's better for you and it's called liquid death but liquid death is trying to murder your thirst and plastic bottles aluminum is simply better for the environment because a large portion of plastic that you try to recycle just ends up as garbage because it is not profitable to recycle so liquid death puts its money where its mouth is and donates 10 percent of their profits to killing plastic so give liquid death a try if you're not a drinker but you want to fit in in social situations bring a liquid death can of water with you pick it up at target high v whole foods or go to liquiddeath.com insider that's liquiddeath.com insider and use their store locator all right let's switch over to the offensive side You should have seen Kevin O'Connell's face when I told them that Kirk Cousins was second lowest in average depth of target (laughs) in the entire National Football League. In fact, I can call this up. It's kind of it's kind of wild, actually. 
uh, because when you look at the other quarterbacks that are also there, and boy, has it been a year for quarterbacks. Um, <laughs> but you're talking about Daniel Jones, Matt Stud. Ryan, Stud. Baker Mayfield. Like uh, not every, you know, not everybody is bad. But I mean, even the way Stafford is played, he's one of the lowest in average depth of target because he can't push the ball down the field with his broken elbow or whatever. Um, but I think. <laughs> I, I didn't go back and, and analyze the tape of O'Connell's face, but just that uh, the impression I got was that he didn't know that's that or was maybe a little like, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. Um, why is that? Why is that? I, I went, lo- I did an article looking for explanations and O'Connell said in his answer, yeah, that's what I'm going to be looking at for sure. Kirk Cousins threw one pass that traveled over 20 yards against the Miami Dolphins, one. And his percentage of passes that are going beyond 20 yards is half what it was in 2019. I mean, he's uh, one of the lowest in the league. I think it's also second in the league in, in 20 plus yard passes down the field. Uh, what, what is, what is happening there? I think it's a combination of last year. We relied a ton on the play action boot deep shot. You know, that was a big part of the offense. I mean, and that's where a lot of those big highlight plays came versus this year. It's, it is more of the quick passing game and getting the ball out. Uh, but you know, it's one of those things that if you, that becomes your identity, then teams don't respect the deep ball. And then it becomes really hard to run the football, which we've seen, you know, Dalvin had that great run, but overall the running game hasn't been something that everyone's been like, woohoo. I mean, we're paying this running back a absolute bleep ton of money and it's just not awesome. You know, he shows his moments, but when you don't have any threat of down the field and defenses every week, pull up the defensive game plan on a Tuesday to play the Vikings. And they look at that side go, they don't. They don't throw the ball down the field. Let's leave the safety in the box, right? Like until we prove that we can stretch a defense out like that on a consistent basis, the running game is going to be the thing that suffers. And so I think that that's it, an all-encompassing thing as to why is it's scheme, it's protection, it's what's working right now. And also it's kind of like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We're five and one, right? Like until something rears its ugly head as to like, this is the reason we lost or this is the reason we're losing – it's human nature to not really want to change everything that's going on because it seems like it's being okay right now. Doesn't it feel like though, with the passing game, the wheel is going like kind of, so- you know, it's got the high speed wobble as you go down the hill and you're like, <laughs> yes. you know, that the, it starts to high speed wobble and you're like <laughs> seconds away from death or catching it. Yeah. We're, we're riding that wave. It is it is really fascinating, though, how different Cousins statistics look from last year. And it's a long season and this could certainly change. But uh, I think it's requiring a, a really close look. I mean, you can't punt 10 times a game like that's no. just it's as simple as that. You cannot have nine three and outs in your first 11 drives like that's not going to work very well. Last year, though. Kirk Cousins was eighth in terms of the percentage of his passes that went 20 plus. So he was one of the uh, more premier deep passers in the league. And this year uh, he's not even close to that. He was also graded by PFF as the fourth best at throwing the ball down the field. And that, that is just not who they have been so far. And I guess I wonder if teams are sort of daring them to do this or if Cousins, because you did see a, a pretty heated conversation with Cousins and O'Connell, if the whole thing about training camp is always we can kind of spot some of the things that might be problematic down the road, and there was a lot of confusion, a lot of things that Cousins didn't seem super comfortable with, and I, I just think we've seen that like throughout the first half of the season that there's just a, a lot of times where he's ripping the helmet off or he's going to right over to O'Connell or whatever – 
and and I think that it's really on O'Connell to uh, adapt what he's doing here. I think he's tried with some of the bootlegs and the under center stuff, but I, I think that there's just some things about this offense that Cousins does not seem to feel very comfortable with. When I mean, you think back to when they played the Saints, you know, and they, he misses those two wide open touchdown passes, you know, how much has O'Connell tried to dial it back so that those would have been 20 yard down the field touchdown passes, you know, and it's like, okay, Kirk is missing those or he's not seeing those. So it's, it might be this thing where O'Connell's trying to like dumb it down a little bit, but Kirk almost feels like now it's too dumb. You know, like, it's like, they're trying to find a way to live together in our, in, in coercion with everything that's going on, but it just seems like at their different pages at times, you know, and that's something that's hard to do. The great news is it hasn't cost them games yet. It cost them one. But, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you see can cost you complete games. That's the stuff that you can see lead to huge rifts between quarterbacks and OCs and head coaches. And, I mean, all that. And, you, I mean, we all know that Kirk and has his has his ups and downs, right? But I, right now, with the way that Kirk is playing, I feel like with a bye week, it's the time to really kind of open it up and allow him to give enough rope to run or hang himself with. You know, I think yeah. that now's yeah. the time for that with the bye week. Well, And I think that uh, more than anything – they need to talk to each other about this. Like yes. it's very hard to do when you're traveling to London, coming back, playing a game, heading down to Miami and so forth. Um, but I, I think this would be the time to have a, like go through with a fine tooth comb and look at everything that's worked and everything that hasn't and ask why it has or why it hasn't. I mean, when you look at the tape now, I haven't looked at the Miami tape yet to see how many receivers were running open, but throughout the season, I've noticed that there are a lot of open opportunities and that's when you see O'Connell kind of throwing his hands up or receivers looking around or whatever. It's like another thing that you just can't have happen through the rest of the season to be a real contender. If you have some of this confusion, but that's what, what five and one buys you is you can be like, well, all right, it's a thing we've got to fix and improve on. But if you were, three and three, you would feel like the world was kind of ending after that game. Like if they lose and we're three the, and three, you'd be like, this is a catastrophe. Yeah. Ask the Packers, right? Like, right. The right. Packers, it's, the Packers are in the exact same. The Bengals are in the exact same situation, right? They had bounces at the end of the game that went the wrong way for them. And that's how they lost three games. I mean, everyone in the league is winning these games right at the end. And so that's why I have to give the Vikings a ton of credit. Like the players are making plays at the end when it matters. But then the difference is, are we part of that group that's just getting lucky at the end? Or are we part of that group that's the contenders that are winning football games from start to finish? And you're right. It buys you that we're here. And I think the other piece of that is, you know, if there's guys running open and there's plays there, like, it's not like we don't have the talent. You know, some of these teams just don't have the talent to win. Like, I look at a team like Denver. And they have the talent to win, but there's, I mean, there's not guys running open. There's not people that Russell's just missing, in my opinion, you know? And so that's where, like, this is not getting fixed anytime soon. Versus you look on the Vikings, it's like they've played well enough to win, but there's also so much more left on the table for them that the field is just, I mean, they, they're leaving points on the field offensively to where that's the stuff where it's like, it's going to get fixed because eventually it's just going to be too wide open. They're going to see it too many times. And so that's where I think I give us the edge of like, we're right in the high end of that middle of the pack of the NFL. You know, there's the low end where it's like, all right, better luck next year, you know, and then there's the elites where it's like, okay, you'll probably win your division and go to the playoffs. And then there's this mid group. And I think the Vikings are at the top of that mid group that are really going to make a push to win the division and have a chance in the playoffs. And as of right now, football outsiders has them as having the fourth highest odds to make the playoffs of yeah. any team in the NFL. Uh, so it's like, 
the the path has been cleared for you, but I think that it's also fair to start raising the bar for this team instead of saying like, oh, well, just get back to the playoffs and make everyone not feel horrible about everything and vibes and whatever. Well, I think that's off the table. And when we talk about it, I think it has to be more harsh in a way because you have raised the bar for yourself by starting five and one. So now it's like, okay, you're a good, you're a good team and you're in that pack. Now prove that you're for real, for real. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think anyone expects them to be quite as good as someone like Buffalo, but I think you do expect them to play on the same level as of, as a Philadelphia or as a Dallas, like get, get up into that conversation with those best teams uh, in order to do that, though, Jeremiah, they cannot have interior offensive linemen with the following Uh-oh. pass blocking grades. Uh-oh. 45.0 uh. out of 100, 36.5, and 20.4. That's disgusting. That's uh, three guys, all bad. I don't even think if you add all three of those, is equal 100. Uh, let me see. Yeah. What, what is um, it? So it's 30, 60. No, I don't 45, think. 45, yeah. Um. Yeah, uh, is it, it close? Yes, it, is it, it close? I think it's it's close. Yeah, that's close. Yeah, well, I mean that that's the thing is you have three guys that are playing like one. Can't do that, you know. And we talked about it. That is always in. It has been the question mark of this offensive line is Garrett Bradbury. Can he continue on the pace that he was playing at, or was it eventually going to be like, oh, there he is? You know, the good news is our tackles are still playing really well. Um, but you know, you're going to take your lumps with rookie O lineman. Um, with Ed Ingram, you know, I think that I praised him a lot early in the season, and rightfully so, he earned that. But it just comes with being a young player at any level, college, as a freshman, rookie in the NFL. Like, you're going to take your lumps. You're going to run into players that are grown men, and Christian Wilkins is a very good football player in the NFL, and he kind of took his turn going up and down the interior of the line of who he wanted to beat at that point in time. Um, You know, but overall, those guys have to play better in order to win. And we talk about the struggles in the run game. Those three guys not playing well is another reason why it's not been able to just open up and crease and go and not just a loaded box, but just not be able to move the downs and the double teams and the fits weren't great. I think ID purposes. I think everyone looked like we were ID'd. Okay. I didn't see any free runners or guys not getting blocked. It's just a matter of physically getting the guys blocked and using the technique that they're being taught. Cause I know Chris Cooper does a great job with his technique. Uh, they, it's so funny about how like small sample sizes can impact how we feel about a team or statistics or whatever. And even single seasons can be this. So of course a few games, but you know, people were asking me like, Hey, you know, Garrett Bradbury is like in the top 10 in PFF pass blocking grade. What's going on there? That game sunk him to 19th place. Oh my. <laughs> it's like, yeah. He went from in the top 10 to 19th place and still overall, he's more toward the middle, but I think what that's, and uh, just ahead of him, I'm not joking. Our Pat Elfline and Mason Cole. Um, <laughs> You're lying. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, 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 I do think that it sort of says something about like how much competition on a week to week basis really determines some of this stuff, because when they were facing Christian Wilkins, that dude is a monster. And I would put him like among the top category of, of, of grown men who have thrown the Vikings interior offensive line around. But I think it always starts there. It always starts there with, with cousins, with the running game. If the running game isn't working, which it truly was not for 98% of that day, uh, that it's, it's just no matter who you are as Kevin O'Connell, no matter who you have around him, the receivers, whatever else, it's always going to be the kryptonite. And I don't know what the solution is because I don't think you can expect a rookie right guard 
to be way better than he's been so far uh, throughout his first season. I don't expect Bradbury to be completely different when he faces elite competition. And Ezra Cleveland is just going to be the best guard or the worst guard in the league from week to week. It's remarkable when you look at his grades. It's like a 88 pass blocking grade and then a 45. Like, uh, what happened? You don't like the heat? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, consistency is the number one thing you look for out of an offensive lineman. Can he do it week in and week out, which is what's so impressive about what Darisaw and O'Neal do week in and week out and the greats do week in and week out. And I think that you just look to build that more and more. And you're right. Garrett's going to be who he is. You, you don't change. You don't change yourself completely in year five. Is this year five for him? Right. Uh, four. Four. Yeah. Year four. Right. You don't change yourself completely in year four. You can absolutely continue to grow and get better. And I do think he's taken strides to being a better player this year. But again, a lot of it's that we're not under center as much. So that pressure number's not there. But when you can't run the football and you allow guys to just continue to pin their ears back and rush the passer, there's a combination of guys are gonna get pressure, and there's another reason why we're short yardage, short yardage on our passing. If you got guys in your face, you get rid of the football faster. Folks, I know you've heard me talk about Soda Stick for a long time now, but I'm telling you, you have to start following them on social media for new, fresh gear they are releasing all the time. Of course, they have the classics like the Moss Moon design and the Metrodome shirts and hoodies, but as the local teams go along in their seasons, Soda Stick is constantly putting out new stuff, whether it's the new Horn State gear or the Vicodontis Rex shirts, lots and lots more from all the Minnesota clubs. Go to SodaStick.com. Com and follow them at Soda Stick on Twitter. That is S O T A S T I C K dot com on Twitter and use the code Purple Insider to get 15% off your purchase. Um, he went from solid to second most pressures allowed in the league at center. How many pressures one- did he give up? Uh, well, he's at he's at twelve right now. Normally, centers don't have super high pressure. Right, that's numbers. why I was like, what what was he at before the game? How many did he, does it say? How many he gave up last? Uh, game? yeah, I could pull that up. I could pull that up. I'd be curious um, because I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna bang on the Miami defensive line, offensive line for giving up eleven pressures to one guy, I feel like to drop that far, he probably had to give up at least five or six. Yeah, he gave up four. Yeah, four. Gave up four. Yeah, yeah, that's so, a lot for a center. Uh, four pressures, well, and to, to put in perspective, four pressures for a center is a lot in a game. I mean, we were talking about how Daniil Hunter had six as a D end is an elite number. If you're a defensive tackle rushing over a center, getting six and uh, that, or getting four, that is a very, very high number. Yeah, uh, you know how many Jason Kelsey's given up all year? Zero. Three. <laughs> Three. So, so Bradbury gave up more pressures in one game than Kelsey did. And that's, and that's always been, I think that's always been the thing with Bradbury where it's like, it's not terrible every week, but when it's a mismatch, that's where it gets problematic. And I don't think that there's any changing that at this point, it's something that um, everyone who's coached him and this recent team has had to deal with. And I don't think it's disappeared because he got off to a halfway decent start. Now, let me ask you um, about the Packers real quick. What's up with that? I mean, what's 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 your answer for what has happened there? Does it have to do with some sort of uh, psychedelic tea or uh, have you tried that stuff? I don't know. That's... I don't know. I've, I've heard it's all the rage up there in Green Bay. Uh, I think the biggest thing is just the absence of Devontae Adams. And I mean that in no one. Obviously, no offense is built around one player. But when you had a guy in a security blanket that Rodgers has been known that when he finds a receiver, he trusts, he's just going to plug him. 
And you saw it in the back half of that game. After Lazard caught that touchdown, he just started like, where's where's he at? And he just ping it, Lazard, Lazard, Lazard. Like, he just doesn't have that in a consistently high-level receiver. Lazard is not Devontae Adams. Now, the run game, I think, has been better with Aaron Jones and stuff. But I just... I don't know what's going on. It just seems like Rodgers is just at a loss for his weapons. And it's always been that Rodgers has been able to overcome it, right? It was like, he has no one to throw to, and then he figures it out. I think it's finally caught up where he just doesn't have enough weapons, and the O-line is beat up enough. I mean, it helps having Batiari back, but the O-line is not where he can stand back there and jerk the ball off, jerk the ball off, jerk the ball off, and then throw it around. You know, like, that's just not what he can do this year, which is making him really struggle. The not safe for work elements of everything you just said. Jerk the ball off. That's it. The quarterbacks jerk the ball back off all the time. It's what the old linemen call it when they hold on to the ball. Just jerking <laughs> the ball off back there. NS, not NSFW boys. NSFW. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Def, def, definitely uh, not not safe for work. I'm glad you at least explained that this is some sort of football term. But uh... it is 100 a football term. Ask any old lineman because if you're back there as a quarterback doing what you're doing. It's not a fun time for us. Um, it is interesting, though, that all of a sudden now Rogers is making it known that he doesn't want as many motions and things going <laughs> on uh, publicly. Now, I think there's really something to this because we love pre-snap motion. But I also think this happened with Filippo, and it might be happening with Kevin O'Connell, where big offensive smooth brains, they start to be like, oh, I know all the secrets. I know all the things. But. At the same time, the more you put on everyone's plate, the more there's a chance someone gets confused by something. And if you have a bunch of rookie receivers with Aaron Rodgers and you're saying motion, adjust, do that, like receivers, a complicated position. I, I do think there's something to what he's saying. And I also think the Vikings need to think about it as well. How much are you asking everybody to understand before the snap? Because if it's too much, then you get throws to nobody, which we've seen a lot of times with the Vikings and a lot of times in Green Bay. Yeah, you can outthink yourself, you know, and especially in Green Bay. I think Green Bay more. I think the receiving core in Minnesota is a little more seasoned um, than Green Bay's. But, I mean, you talk about rookie receivers. I mean, and Aaron's been no secret since training camp. He hasn't been a fan of some of these young receivers. And then Christian Watson, who they draft in the second round on North Dakota State, blows a hammy. And so now your speedster to blow off the top is gone. And now you're talking about throwing balls to Samari Toure, who's an undrafted kid out of Nebraska. And, I mean, it's Robert Tunyon and Alan Lazard. Other than that, like, he doesn't trust anyone else to throw the football to. And that's a big problem when you have a, a team that is built around him just spreading it all over the yard. And they don't have an elite offensive line. They have an okay offensive line with some serious weaknesses. Um, but, you know, he can't sit back there all day and wait for one of those two or three guys to get open. He kind of has to make quicker reads, which has never really been his thing. No. Like, it's it's amazing how even the greatest quarterbacks sometimes have, like, a little bit of a weakness. And I always thought that one of the reasons why Zimmer got after Rodgers pretty well is because he would force him to speed up a little and that's not what he wants to do. He wants to roam back there and look around and wait for his guy to get open. And it's just not happening this year. I, I don't know that that's going to improve a ton, but I think it's the biggest challenge Matt LaFleur has ever faced is that now Rodgers has publicly told everyone he doesn't like something you're doing. Like now, now what do you do? Do you yeah. do what he says and look like he's running the franchise? Or do you say, no, Aaron, we're going to keep doing my motions. And then he's mad at you. Like, yeah. <laughs> Aaron runs that program. Let no one fool you. Aaron Rodgers has complete control of that offense. Just like Tom Brady had complete control of the offense in New England. Like 
if you don't like something, you publicly come out and say it. But also it takes it so that if they keep doing it, Rodgers has now washed his hands of the problem. Right? Like everyone wants to be like, oh, it's Rodgers' fault. It's Rodgers' fault. He basically was like, we don't like this. This is the problem. If we keep doing it, not my fault. I'm still the greatest. I still can do like it. He's, he's CYA'd himself. But if they stop doing the motions and it's still a problem, then it's CYA on um, Lafleur's side. So it's kind of like who's willing to throw themselves out there on the sword here or who's willing to try and make the other one prove that they're wrong. Do I want to ask what CYA is? Cover your ass. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Trying to be NSFW. I think, yeah, I think that one's okay. Uh, there have been bleeps in the past. I don't know. That's fair. Um, so I two, get excited. Two quick things. Uh, first, um, how many wins do the Vikings end up with? What's your What's your pick now? I think I said I think I said nine originally. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with eleven. I think eleven is. I think I, I think, I think I'm 11, ready to bump I think it up. eleven is where I'm at. I think eleven is is a very doable number with the schedule that we have. Yeah. I picked 10 initially, but I think now is time to bump it up by one. I'm not going to bump it up farther than that until they prove it. At least play with Buffalo, play with Dallas, yeah. you know, those, those kind of things. We'll see on that. Uh, love to see it. Hate to see it. Do you want to start? You got something? Oh, yeah. Love to see it as I don't have to watch the Denver Broncos on primetime again the rest of the season because, my gosh, that team sucks. They are so bad and just a terrible football team. Like, they're just all around. I mean, I wanted that game. I was like, both these teams, A, deserve to tie, but mostly the Broncos. I mean, mostly the Broncos. It's like, oh, they got it. Three and out, three and out, three and out. Like, Russell Wilson, 10 of 10 to start the game. Everyone's like, he's back. Russell's dealing. Three of, like, 12 to finish the game or whatever it was. Just absolute atrocities in Denver right now. I believe he threw 12 passes and gained 15 yards in the second half. So, And you saw the receivers talking on the sideline, too. It's like, uh-oh. Uh-oh, is there trouble in paradise? Are we not riding anymore? Hey, Broncos Nation, are we not Are we not riding anymore? Because it doesn't seem like people are real happy at the altitude. I have a question for you. Yes. So before the game, Russell Wilson tweets out a picture of himself, just clearly taken by someone else, mm-hmm. and then ends up coming off of his Twitter account, just like, okay, so contrived, right? It's like Russ looking intense, walking into the stadium, but it's just told so so contrived, which is everything that's that's Russell Wilson, right? How much does that matter to dudes in a locker room if someone I don't want to say phony because I don't know the guy, but I just know that his his persona is it's very easy to sort of spot that it's not really real. It's like something he's trying to invent. Uh, how much does that matter to everybody? You know, it, it doesn't matter a ton of the locker room because guys like that, I mean, Russell and Josh and Patrick, they don't run their own accounts. They don't like, they have someone else that runs all of that. Half the time, they don't even know what's going out. That's what they pay. I don't, I don't mean the do. Twitter though. I mean like the actual right, the guy let's be, ride and all of that. Genuine. Yeah. You know, there's something about it. If it is genuine and like, I'd never played with him. I don't really know anyone that's played with him. I really want to get a client on the Broncos and just be like, so who, who really is Russell Wilson? Did you see the Marshawn thing? I did not. Marshawn Lynch said that he, if he wants to talk to Russell Wilson, he has to go through his manager. He doesn't no have, way. he does not have Russell Wilson's number. My mind was blown. I did not. Okay. Yeah. That changes everything. You can't be that guy. Nope. You can't be, especially making as much money as you do. Like you gotta be, you gotta be there for your dudes. Not just when the cameras are on. Cause, cause Richard Sherman made a comment. It was on Richard Sherman's podcast and he made a comment kind of like, well, you know, 
Because uh, Marshawn said, I really want to talk to him. And so Richard Sherman says, why don't you go through his manager? And Marshawn said, if I don't have your number myself, I'm not messing with you. And uh, it was just like, what? I mean, that that's that's tough, though. If you are if you are so I'm on a different level, I'm the rock star and you guys all just exist around me. I think that is something that's tough for everybody to deal with. That, I mean, you saw it was, in my opinion, it was the demise of Kaepernick. Besides the the after, I'm talking about after, I mean, before he was kicked off the field for being terrible at football and then he, the kneeling thing. Like, that's beside the point. But I know guys, and, and Booney being one of them, that after the he came super and signed the fat deal and took him to the super, like, he just changed who he was as a person. And he lost the entire football team. You know, and when you're the leader in the quarterback, you can't you can't lose the entire football team or let alone your offensive line or just the offense in general. Um, things go south in a hurry. I mean, c- celebrity and money power uh, and all that sort of stuff um, is not for everybody. I'm going to go. I love to see it. New York Jets. Good for you, New York Jets. I mean, Three they have row. just been such flaming garbage for so long. <laughs> it's just, and Zach Wilson didn't even play well in this game the other day. But Robert Sala, I thought, was a great head coaching candidate when he was in San Francisco. He goes there immediately. He's got to play a rookie quarterback. There's so many things going wrong. But uh, now their defense is on point, and Wilson is starting to show some signs. They could be a, a really good team uh, yeah. going forward. And and you just like teams that have been down for this long. I, the, the Giants, too. And you love to see when they get a good coach who seems to know what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, th- and that's the thing is you're starting to see these coaches that were specific, right? Like Sala's a defensive guy and Quinn Williams is excelling that versus Dable's an offensive guy and Saquon and Daniel Jones. Like the mastermind coaches that make the head the jump to head coaches are great. So, no, I agree with you. I think the Jets are really fun to watch. And it was wild to me. That I was like, if the Bills lost to Kansas City, like the Jets were supposed to be in like first place in the NFC. I was like, oh, my gosh. In what world do we live in that the Jets are in first place and the Packers are three and three? You know, it's just it's a wild world in which we live in. Um, my hate to see it uh, is going to have to be that I can't just rewatch Alabama and Tennessee over and over and over again because my gosh what a fun football game that was to watch i'm just gonna say love to see it college football this year it's oh, just it's been unbelievable so my good. my wife was calling uh tcu and their game and that came down to the very final moments and i think it was overtime in that game and then so that was happening and bama tennessee is happening it seems like every week that there has just been so many crazy exciting games and a lot of times with college football my criticism is yeah the games are close but they're kind of garbage but i don't think that's been the case this year i think there's a lot of great quarterbacks there's a lot of players who maybe stayed in college still who might be on their sixth year like the tennessee quarterback who's older than i am yeah Uh, you know you know it'd be great he's the only college quarterback where we could actually talk about like vinnie testaverde or or t martin would be like remember t martin to throw into peerless price me too (laughs) (laughs) Dude, that's I'm recruiting a kid from BYU, the the Mormons out there. He did uh, his mission trip. He graduated high school in 2015. I was like, oh, <laughs> how old are you? I was like, I graduated in 09. I was like, I'm only six years older than you. This is a little strange. But no, yeah, college football has been fantastic this year. And I'll say this. I'm a big fan of I love the NFL with the polished project that it is. But there's something about watching a college football game that comes down to the wire. And those stadiums are just so much more intense and so much more exciting. Like a great college football atmosphere is one that you just cannot beat. 
Did you donate to Tennessee to help them uh, replace their goalposts? No, I did not. But I know that the guy that I, I feel for is that poor turf manager. Because that oh field has just got to be trash. Because that's a grass field. Like, that dude's out there with a fine, just, a, just trying to lift every blade of grass up today. Just like, please come back. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's like the field in England where they just motored out one field and brought in the yeah. other one. We can't we can't afford, but them not being able to afford goalposts is hilarious. This is it's so funny. Like, I don't know how much you pay your head coach. I th- how, yeah, how many hundred thousand people were there at how much a ticket the other day? So how many donations did you get from uh, you know people after that one? So yeah, anyway, they did get the people to pay for their. $150,000 goalpost. Yeah, that you hate to see. You hate to you see hate people to being see asked that. to pay for a goalpost. <laughs> After beating Alabama for the first time in however many years. Well, uh, this is fun as always. And, um, you know, we'll actually just sit and watch stress-free football this week. Mm. But don't look at the schedule, anybody. Do not. It's horrible. There's like two games worth watching on the entire schedule next week. Tough year for the NFL, but uh, not a tough year for the show. Great job, Jeremiah, and uh, we'll talk again soon, man. Absolutely. See you next week.